This is episode 556 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. One of the most frustrating aspects of church life is a lack of knowing how to do the things we know we should do. I mean, does that sound strange to you? It really shouldn't. For example, we know we are to pray without ceasing. After all, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 clearly states that. And we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't know how to do it. I mean, how do you pray without ceasing? I mean, how was that done? And since we are short on instructions and long on commands, it can lead to frustration and guilt and a desire to just throw in a towel and quit. But we certainly can't do that. So today, we're going to look at some of the practical steps that will allow us to fulfill the command to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ that is found in 1 Corinthians 10.5. And that's a tough command. And in doing so, we'll move closer to being able to leave the lukewarmness of Laodicea behind. So let me go ahead and give you a uh, uh, summary of where we're at right now. Um, you know, there's two elements to our Christian life. There is salvation, and if you've been with us long enough, you know that salvation is an act that ends and begins with God. He chooses us from the foundation of the world. He even gives us the faith to place in Him. So salvation is all of Him. I can take no glory for my salvation. If I'm the one that prays with Tim and he receives Christ, I get no credit for that. The fact that, you know, God consummated a relationship that he began with Tim eternity ago. But when it comes to sanctification, that's where he gets the glories. The sanctification are the stuff that we have to do. And there's all these passages in Scripture that either specifically say, this is what you must do, or they're implied that this is how you do it. This is what you're supposed to do. And most preaching, including mine, is always this is what we need to do. This is what we should do. And so we all leave feeling, yes, I can do this. I need to do this. I need to, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I need to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. I need to lay myself down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I need, I need, I need, I need. Then we go home and fail. And then we come back and go, I don't know how to do this. I don't know, how am I supposed to do this? And if you ask the preacher how to do this, his response is, ask God. God will show you exactly what you need to do. And that's a true answer, but many of us don't even know how to hear from God, let alone ask him something and expect to get an answer. And so what's really lacking, at least has been a huge frustration in my own spiritual life, is... Yes, I know I should do it. Yes, I agree with the commands. I just don't know how. I just don't know how. I'm a practical step guy. You know, give me seven points. Give me a bullet point list. Show me what I need you to give me a recipe. I'll put everything in the bowl and stir it up, and, and I should get what I want out of it. But I just don't know how. So I was going through, to show you how this works, I was going through a couple of these. For example, these about five or six of these, a question and an answer. Question, do you believe we're supposed to walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Absolutely. Galatians 5.16 says we're supposed to do that. I can read the passage myself, and it lays it out for me, but I fail. 
Sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. And when I do do it, it's almost like by accident. Next thing I know, I've defaulted back to to living by the flesh. And you've had testimonies like this. I'm so close to the Lord, and it's really great. Then I get in the car, someone cuts me off, I see these terrible things, and like the Spirit's gone, I don't know what to do, and it's really frustrating. True? So we all read this and go, yes, 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 I know that's true. How? So you go online and you go to Amazon and you Google books on how to walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and pretty much you find them hard to find. You go uh, listen to sermons that are currently preached or even sermons that were preached 100 years ago, and they all tell you what we need to do. They tell you what happens if we do do what we need to do, but they don't tell us how to go about doing it. I need to know the how. I need to know how this works out. Here's another one. Do you know that we need to pray without ceasing? Oh my gosh. Yes, prayer is probably next to witnessing. Uh, prayer is probably the thing I do least of. I feel most guilty about. Yes, the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. I mean, how do we do that? Does that mean I spend eight hours a day in prayer like George Mueller did? Does it mean that I just have an attitude of prayer? What does that attitude of prayer look like? I mean, is that how this verse is uh, fulfilled? And, and if so, how do I do that? G- give me the steps. Yes, I know I need to pray without ceasing. I just don't know how. Sometimes I've had a really intimate prayer life, and sometimes I haven't. So then I go back, and I'm just living on past glories rather than fulfilling these mandates and these commands and these blessings in real time. Romans chapter 12, we just talked about this three weeks ago. Do you believe that you're supposed to offer your body, your flesh, as a living sacrifice to the Lord? Yes, this is the key passage on the higher Christian life. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Yes, I know I should do that, and I've tried to do that, and I failed. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't go well. Sometimes God used me, sometimes it didn't. Yes, I know how to do that, or I know I should do that. I just don't know how. Can, can you explain it to me? Can you lay it out for me? Can you give me like bullet points? Can you give me some tips that I can do that? Is there somebody that I know who lives that way who I, that, I can, that can mentor me and tell me what they've done that I can ask questions to? See the frustration? Oh, book of John. Do I believe I need to abide, rest, make my home in Christ, and that he will abide and rest and make his home in me? Yes, it's right there in red. Jesus said that in John 15. I know I need to rest. That means not worry. That means trust, not fret, not do anything. Just live in the security and confidence that knows that God is God and that he rests in me. Yes, I know those things doctrinally, theologically. I even believe them. I just don't know how to live them out. Yes, but how? Here's an easy one. Talk about this in Vacation Bible School. Do you know how to put on the, the whole armor of God? Is it like metaphorical? Is it like spiritual armor? I mean, is it like an exercise that I go through? I mean, I, I, I know I should do that. I, I, I don't even know when I put the breastplate of righteousness on. I know the imagery I've heard in sermons, imagery that I've preached about that. I don't really know. No, I don't know how to do that. I know I'm supposed to put on the whole armor of God, and I know it's listed there in Ephesians, but no, I don't know how to do that. I believe I should, but I'm struggling. 
as the world gets progressively dark. Do I believe that if someone slaps me on the one cheek, that I'm not to resist an evil person, but I'm to offer them the other cheek too, because my confidence in Christ is so great that I no longer have to defend myself? Oh, I know you said that, Jesus, and I believe what you said, and I, I believe it's true. I just don't know how. Because when someone smites me on the one cheek, and I want to punch him back as hard as I can. You know, it seems like, okay, if the stuff that really doesn't bother me, you can go ahead and slap me, but pretty soon it begins to sting after a while, and if I just keep taking this, then I become a doormat, you can't be a doormat in our culture. And No, I don't know how to do that. And, and I, don't, I don't know anybody who has lived through that that can mentor me like that. So yes, I believe it, but I don't know how. Um, a couple weeks ago, Justice did an opening, and he talked about sin. He talked about bouncing your eyes. Do you remember that? Kind of bouncing your eyes. And I thought about that, and he preached a sermon, and it was very practical. And I thought, okay, I, I got that. So if we're going to bounce our eyes, and if we're going to live a life that pleases the Lord, and if it's true in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, you can look it up yourself, that everyone is, is uh, drawn away in sins when temptation entices us, and we understand that all sin really begins in our mind. It's where we decide whether or not we're going to follow God or, or follow a temptation. Do I believe that I am to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? If you've opened your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that's where it's at. Do I believe that's true? Yes, I do, but I don't know how. I don't know how. So what we're going to be doing over the next couple weeks, or for however, however long it takes, is we're going to be looking very specifically at the hows how to do the things that we know we're supposed to do that have great promise behind them that nobody really takes the time to tell us. And what we're going to try to do biblically is we're going to try to break these down into manageable sections so that we can kind of understand exactly how to live this abundant life in Christ. Now, on Thursday and on Saturday, I sent you two very long emails. Did you get the emails? Matter of fact, I, it's like the one I sent yesterday is like 2,400 words, which is a, a chapter in a book size. It's like, it's, it's massive. And what I talked about was biblical meditation. That uh, when we were able to study God's word and ruminate on God's word and meditate on his word, the first email dealt with what exactly the word meditate means from the, from the Hebrew and the Greek, the advantages of that and some other things. And then it talked in the second one, it gave you some practical tools on how to meditate on God's word. I will tell you this from the very beginning. Here's the second thing I want to talk about today. From the very beginning, nowhere in scripture that I can find that it says read his word. You know, when God commands us to have a relationship with his word, it's never reading, which is good, though. I mean, we want to read through the Bible in a year because we're so busy, we can only devote about 15 minutes a day to him anyway. It doesn't even talk about studying, per se. Well, studying is even better than reading because we're able to, you know, move down into the nuances. It always talks about in the Old Testament and the New Testament to meditate. And what we've done in our Christian Western circles is we have thrown meditation out the window because that's contemplative. 
And a lot of other Christians say that contemplative Christianity is a bad thing, that you don't meditate on his word because meditate means that you make this ohm sound and you sit in a lotus position, which I physically can't do, and you to kind of blank your brain out. That's not what meditating on scripture means because there's a context here. The context is on scripture. And as you've, if you read the articles that I wrote, in the Old Testament, meditate means to groan, to growl. It's almost like a... <clears throat> like this feeling you have after you have a really good meal or something very satisfying. I'm meditating on his word. I'm trying to figure out exactly what it says. I'm reflecting on it. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not moving on. And I'm waiting until God speaks to me through that word. It is meditation in God's word that makes it become alive to you. And it takes time. It takes a commitment. It means we're no longer going to, oh, where's my daily Bible reading? Again, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody should read through the Bible. Okay, so I've got to read two chapters today, so I'm going to go ahead and read those. That's really great, and, and all that. Sometimes it takes hours. Sometimes, well, how in the world am I going to be able to fit, you know, an hour a day in Bible meditation in my busy schedule? Uh, it's really simple. Loosen up your schedule. I mean, determine what's more important to you. And when, you, when you're able to meditate in God's Word... Everything changes. Now, I don't know if you've read the um, emails that I sent, especially the one last night, which broke down these seven uh, practical steps. And each of those steps were broke down into you know, sub-steps to help you. As, this is the way I think. I'm sorry. Just give me bullet points to, to help us find the tools and what's really required when it comes to biblical meditation. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this topic here, talking about um, uh, spiritual warfare, talking about every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and I'm going to go through really quickly the mechanics, not the prayer part, that's something you'll have to do, not the ruminating part, that's something you'll have to do, the mechanics of helping you meditate on this passage to try to figure out exactly what it says. If you read the email from yesterday, this will become a little more familiar to you. If you didn't, when you go home and read it, you'll go, ah, that's what he was talking about. The abundant life is found in renewing your mind. Your mind is changed. Romans chapter 12 talks about that. 12, 1 and 2. It is, I think, other than John 3, 16, it is the most profound two verses in all of the New Testament, at least in the book of Romans, which is um, like Paul's Magna Carta. It's unbelievable. It tells us exactly what we need to do, the benefits and the blessings that come from doing that. It just doesn't tell us how. And if you're like me, it's like you, I lay down and I get up. I lay down and things are going pretty good. Oh, I need to handle this. God, are you going to handle this? You didn't handle it quick enough. I get back all the, off the altar. And it's this frustrating kind of thing that leads me to the point that I don't want to even try anymore because I'm, I'm tired of trying and failing. You ever been there? Here's what it says. It says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, this is a sanctification verse. I'm supposed to do this, that I present my flesh my body, the thing that I struggle with the most, the thing that Paul says that nothing good dwells in his flesh. My body is a living sacrifice. I'm giving it to somebody else. Holy, acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service because of the mercy that he showed me. 
How do we do that? All right, here's a hint. Do not be conformed to this world, but in contrast to being like the world, I'm to be transformed. And if you read the email from yesterday, you'll find out that one of the major benefits, the major goals of biblical meditation is called transformation. It's for you to be changed. It's for you to have the image of Christ, for you to have your personality and your wants and your desires changed by his word residing in you. It's for you to to have the mind of Christ, for you to be transformed. He promises to do that through his word, but it's got to be more than just a cursory reading. It's a it's like a memorization. It's something that, that means something to us. That I'll be transformed by thinking differently, by viewing things differently, by the renewing of my mind, that my mind now is like flushed and all the Steve and carnality is gone and it's now filled because I'm meditating on his word. It's now filled with him, filled with his spirit, his desires, his wants. I think like Christ. I I conform to his image. I see things from his perspective. I want to be like him. I fall in love with my Savior. And this comes not from just reading, which the Western church has been satisfied with, to obvious results, but it comes from this time-honored spiritual practice that began first became popularized in the first century of literally meditating, focusing, just like a, like a microscope on God's Word. And again, I gave you tools uh, how to do that in the email uh, yesterday, in the article yesterday. So what happens when I renew my mind? And how in the world can I take control of my own thought life? I don't know about you, but uh, I struggle with my thought life. If I can keep it in my head, then Karen doesn't know what I'm really like. It's only when I let my carnal thought life actually come out in words or come out in action that the gig is up and somebody can go, oh, wow, that's what you're really like. No, I got to keep it buried in here. And you struggle. You know what it's like. I'm praying and I'm, I'm trying to think about the wonderful things of God. And then this God awful thing just flashes before your mind. And you have this accusing voice in the back of your head of the enemy saying, really? You think you're a believer, and in this intimate time of worship with the Lord, you're thinking something like that, or we focus on other things, or I'm, I'm asking the Lord to, to take control of my life, and then I'm thinking about all the things I have to do tomorrow, that I, there's no way I can rest, I'm worried, I'm all that kind of stuff. You know what that's like. I think every Christian knows what that's like. And so we have a tendency of hearing from the pulpit, surrender everything to God, and realizing there's no way that I can, and so we're stuck in this... I'm a six, or I'm an eight, or I'm a five, and and that's really okay, versus what we could be if we literally let his word take root in us. So, I chose this passage because it deals with spiritual warfare. And taking control of your thought thought life or surrendering your thought life to him is one of the key ways to keep from sinning. Here's what it says here. This is just verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. I got that. I got that. I'm I'm a spiritual being. Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy are the Holy Spirit. The same as Jesus Christ lives in me. So therefore, I I don't have to fight like the world fights. 
I can actually let Christ do it through me. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Why? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly, but mighty in God for what? There's four things listed here. For the pulling down of strongholds. We can, we did preach on this a long time ago, and you know, you can look that up to know what it means if you want. And casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's like the Satan and his worldview. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ is what we're going to look at today. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Okay. We're going to take this one verse, and we're going to take this one phrase. This is just from verse number five, and we're going to talk about bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Lord, I I want to do this, but I don't know how. I've tried, and I've had some success, but I've had some failure, and I know that if I try again, make this really big commitment and pray, God, I don't want to think any bad thoughts, and God, any thoughts that come into my head that, that aren't from you, I, I want to banish immediately, and God, you know, I'm I, I making these promises, and if you'll help me with this, and I'll do this, and, and Lord, I don't want to lie to you anymore, I don't want to... I don't want to fail anymore. So if it's okay with you, I'm not going to really internalize this passage. I'm just going to read it and then kind of study it and kind of move on like in an intellectual, academic sort of way. And I found that most of the Christians I know do that pretty much because of um, they just don't want to feel guilty anymore. And I know I need to do it. You've said I can do it. You would never command me to do something that I can't do. I just don't know how. Plus, you know, I'm not even sure what this verse means, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do you do that, God? Am I waiting on you to to bring those thoughts into captivity? Do I do that? And if I do that, how in the world do I do that? And as you've noticed, in one of the sub-points in the things that I sent to you yesterday, you want to find out maybe how this verse is translated in other translations. And I've only picked a couple here. Um, some of the top ten in, uh, that we use in America today. You want to know exactly what the verse says, and then you want to ask the Holy Spirit to make it real to you. This takes time. And if you don't have time to have a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit to ask him to t- uh, his schedule to teach truth to you, your schedule is way too tight. You need to throw some stuff away that doesn't really matter and embrace on those things, embrace those things that really last. In the King James Version, it says pretty much the same thing. Bringing, doesn't tell us who, bringing every, into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, into captivity. Does that mean my thoughts are now prisoner? Does that mean I have to pay money to get them out of jail? I'm not sure what that means. We'll look at the NIV, which is the most popular Bible in the United States today. And here's what the NIV says. We, oh, little clarity here. So it's not something done to me. It's something I must do. It's a sanctification verse. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. To the obedience of Christ sounds formal, 
The NIV is written on an eighth grade school level. It's probably why it's so popular. But here, to make it obedient to Christ. So the thoughts that I have, I somehow have to take them captive, not running out and doing what they want to do, and make it obey what I know Christ wants me to do. If that's true, will the other translations say the same thing? And if I do a word study, will it come out that way? The answer, of course, is yes. Nasby, 1995. We are taking. Wow, that's a current. That's not something we've done in the past, but that means it's currently happening right now on an ongoing basis. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The newer translation of the Nasby, just three years ago, same way. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The ESV, super popular Bible today, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Oh, so the thought life, what I'm supposed to do is obey Jesus and what he wants me to think with my mind. I I don't know how to do that, Lord, and I feel terrible because you've told me to do that, and I don't do that, and I struggle with that, and I don't even want to play anymore. The New English translation, and we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. Well, that's a little more intense. That's almost like there's a a war going on, a battle going on uh, uh, between my flesh and his spirit. The CSB, we take every thought captive to obey Christ, clearly letting us know that this is something we have to do. And so the scripture says that If we have to do it, then obviously we are able to do it because God himself lives in you. He lives in us. He lives in me. God is greater than my thought life. God is greater than my wants and my desires. God is greater than the enemy out there. God is God and lives in us. So anything he wants us to do, He would not command us to do it if we didn't have, through him, the power to do it. I got that, Steve. How? What's the process? How does that work? I'm going to look at this verse and tell you what it means, and then I'm going to give you four. Four processes that we must take, four steps we can take to to surrender our thought life to him. You will grow in confidence with this as you continue in it. And the scripture says, of course, if we hide God's word in our heart, think about him all the time, we won't be so prone to sin with him. But what does the verse mean? Again, you implied I'm to bring every, that's that word pos. I told you this is the small words that really mean the most in scripture. I love this word. It means, and I've shared it with you a dozen times, it means everything, all in its entirety, without exception. There's nothing you can conceive in your mind that is outside of pos, that is outside of all. Every possible thing that is and is in existence falls under that word pos. So therefore, I'm to bring every. Every thought I have, whether it's a neutral thought, a bad thought, an angry thought, a lustful thought, a selfish thought, a spiritual thought, every thought I have. And again, thought means the concept of a mind. It's what I think. It's my disposition. It's my intention. It's what I want. It's kind of like when we ask somebody, uh, what, is your, um, what is your three and five-year plan? 
oh, let me tell you what I want to do. What I want to do is this, 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 and this. And our culture just accepts that. That's what you're taught in Wharton Business School. have to come up with a three, five, and 10-year plan. Because if you don't have a plan, then you don't know where you're going. You'll never know when you get there. That sounds so logical. But for the Christian, it's different. Uh, what is your three-year plan? I don't know. The fact is that I just want to love Jesus more than I love him now. No, I'm talking about your business. So am I. I want to love him more than I love him now. I want to be enamored with him. I, if he wants to bless me, he'll bless me. If he wants to, to bring me down, he'll bring me down. It doesn't really matter because my whole life is tied up with him. But what about worry about money? Or what about this? Or what about that? No, no, I'm, I, I don't let those thoughts, because they're disobedient to following him as a slave and he's the master, I don't let those thoughts push me in the wrong direction. I, just want to be about him, to bring every thought into captivity. You can read what this word means. To lead captive as a prisoner of war, to subdue, to bring into subjection, to assume power over someone, and to take someone captive. So I have an independent, selfish, carnal Steve thought. And what I have to do, I have to do is somehow take that thought and take all the power from that thought and hand it to the Lord as a prisoner. It's now your Lord, yours Lord, you take it from me. It's not what I'm interested in doing. It's not my thought anymore. I've surrendered it and yielded to you. And I'm doing it to the obedience of him, to be conformed to his image, to be in compliance, to accept his authority over my life. We all know that's true. We just don't want to do it because it seems like I'll just be some person that can't make any decision of my own. And after all, I belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he wants me to be independent in my thinking and do the things I want to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that works really well with our children sometimes, doesn't it? So how do I do it? Let me give you four steps. And I'm going to show you the importance of these last two emails I sent you. First step is you have to realize that you have sinful thoughts. If you don't realize that you have problems, you're never going to seek a solution. Yes, I have selfish thoughts. I have lustful thoughts. I have prideful thoughts. I get angry. You must recognize that you have evil thoughts. I have selfish thoughts. I want to put somebody down and make me feel better. That person said something bad about me. I'm going to say something bad about her. You bring a knife to a fight. I'm going to bring a gun. You know that that story. And you know I've got I've got worry thoughts. I worry about this and worry about that and worry about that. I know, but Jesus. It doesn't matter what Jesus said. He's up there. I'm down here. This is my problem. I have to worry about it. And you know what happens? I have to recognize. All right, Lord, there are some some thoughts that I need to surrender to you. I do have a need for this. And so I recognize the fact that I have harmful negative thoughts about God, about myself, about others, about this world, about everything. God is just, it's just who I am, and I can't fix it. Actually, you can. And here's how God teaches us to do it. You can't not think these thoughts. You can't say, no, no, go away, and put your hand over your ears and go, la, 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 la. It doesn't work that way. I tried it. It doesn't work that way. You can't make these thoughts not come into your brain, but you can replace them. When a thought comes, I can replace it with something else. 
I can replace it with Scripture if I've memorized Scripture, with Scripture if I understand it, with the teaching of Jesus. If I, if I spend some time meditating on those and memorizing those, I can replace those thoughts. I can't make them go away. I can't ever get to a point where I've got nothing on my mind. I've tried that too. I want to totally blank my mind, but I don't want to think about anything. And then all of a sudden, this little bird outside is chirping and his fan's going, and all the, you know what I mean. Guy's car honks six blocks down the road. Sounds like it's next to me. You can't do that. But I can replace those. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that's exactly what we need to do to replace those. So I've got all these negative, selfish, carnal thoughts. And the Lord says what you need to do is instead of those, replace those with something else. What do I replace them with? You replace them with the character traits of God. You replace them with the attributes of God. You replace them with the things God does in your life. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, it's not the falsehood, but true. I want to focus on what's true, are noble, are just, are pure, are lovely. That's a whole different group of thoughts than I have in my head a lot. Whatever things are commendable of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, oh, look at that word. Meditate. Meditate on these things. So I can't just think. No, it's not what the word says. The word doesn't say just to think about those things. Thinking about those things is not good enough. The word says that you have to meditate on those things. Well, I don't know what meditation is. That was the email from, uh, from Thursday that talked about the benefits of that. I don't know how to do that. That was the email from yesterday, and you'll get another one or maybe two next week. We'll talk a little bit more about it. I need to ponder, to reflect, to think, to consider. Literally, the word means I need to fill my mind with. I want to fill my mind with the things of God. I want to fill my mind with his words. A word. I want to memorize it. I want to um, have it change me. I want to be transformed by it. I have a renewing of my mind. So it's not what this world says that matters. It's what I've internalized about God. I have to meditate on these things. Meditate. I found, and I may be wrong. I haven't looked at all of Scripture. But I can't find a place where God says, oh, just think differently. Or just just read a chapter a day. Because if you read a chapter a day, you're better than probably 95% of most Christians in America. Or, you know, do a, do a Bible study and figure all that stuff out. I mean, part of that helps with meditation. But all of it, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it talks about meditating. Do not let this word of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate it on it day and night. Uh, in Psalm chapter 1, it talks about meditating on the things of God. Ponder them. Think about them. Have them wash your mind clean to make a transformation in your spirit and the way you view things that you'll now respond over time by what you've internalized with his word and not just, oh, I know I should do this, but I'm not going to do this and I'm just going to feel guilty about it, so I don't want to think about it anymore. Meditate on these things. Number three, I need to guard my mind. I need to, as Jesus talks about, I need to bounce your eyes, but you need to bounce your mind, mentally bounce your mind when it comes to those things. We find that in Proverbs 4.23. Here's what it says. You imply, this is my job, keep 
your heart with all diligence. The word keep there means to maintain in safety for injury or harm. I want to guard what comes into my heart, the center part of my being. It's also referred to as your, as your soul. It's the word leb. It talks about the seed of your mind, your will, your volition, your emotions, how you experience things. You guard that. I'm not going to let myself get upset and angry. Why? Because I serve a sovereign God. What can they do to me? Guard your mind with all diligence. Why? Or your heart. Because out of it, out of your heart, springs the issues of life, the source of life, the beginning of your life, your physical life, and your spiritual life. It's kind of like the passage that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's your job to guard that. You know what? This is an impure thought. This is, this is not how I should respond. My flesh wants revenge. My flesh wants worry. My flesh struggles with doubt. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to replace that with something else. I'm going to replace that with the truth. Guarding my mind and guarding my heart and focusing on what is true. Does that make sense? It happens in every one of our uh, situations. Hey, uh, this person said something bad about me. I really can't believe they said that. That makes me feel terrible because I thought they loved me. I guess they don't love me. All the things they did, and it just it blows up. Number four. Finally, like everything else, you must make a choice to surrender your thought life to the Lord by learning how to reject wrong thinking and embrace the truth. Okay, Lord, uh, I really appreciate that, but I have to give um, the people on Sunday um, something practical. I, I, need, I need to know how. Matter of fact, I need to know how in my own life. I need to know how I do that. I know what I'm supposed to do. Everybody tells you what you're supposed to do, but how do I actually do that? And I need scripture to show me how to do that. I need, I, I, I need, I need something of truth so that I can have confidence to know that this is what I need to do. And he's, it's, it's a replacement. It's not a banishment of one and an acceptance of another. It's simply replacing light for darkness, replacing truth for lies. It's replacing this feeling for that truth. And so I asked him, and I did some research, and the result of that is this right here, what you have in your hand. I came up with 10 of these that uh, are tried and true. And it's simply taking a scripture verse, understanding what it says, and then learning how to reject one and replace it or embrace it with another. I'll reject this and I'll embrace this. Uh, I've given you the handout so you can have all the scripture verses. I don't have those here, but here are the 10. How to reject anger and embrace forgiveness. I don't feel like forgiving. You don't have to. You don't have to. I just have to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to accept that anger. I'm rejecting that because that's not of God. And I'm going to embrace forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 on your handout. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. If I meditated on that verse, if I let that verse become true to me, if it became something that just molded my character, then you would find it very easy to reject one and embrace the other. Reject worry and embrace trust. Reject pride and embrace humility. Fear and embrace faith. Reject lust 
and embrace purity. Reject bitterness and embrace forgiveness. Selfishness and generosity, gossip and edification, unbelief and faith. And finally, reject hatred and embrace love. I um, wrote these out. I wanted to give them to you and ask you if you will try to put them into practice this week, um, like I'm doing. Replace that anger with forgiveness. You know what, God? I can't fix that. I'm just going to have to bear the burden of that. It's uh, your king, your sovereign. You can change it if you want. If you choose not to change it, that's on you. I just want to spend my life serving you. I'm not going to give place to the devil. I'm not going to focus on, on my anger and my revenge or, boy, I wish this would happen. And, you know, I laugh if something terrible happened. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let the sun go down in my anger. I'm not going to think about it even one more moment. But since I can't not think about it, I simply replace those thoughts with forgiveness. And I start thinking about all the verses God brings to my mind about forgiveness. Brings my mind about the fact that, you know, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Like seven times? No, like seven times 70. Well, Joy, how much did you forgive me? God, how much did your forgiveness cost you? Well, it cost me my son. I had to pour my wrath out on my son. Can't you forgive? Yes, yes. And you simply replace those. And it's a, it's, a, it's a tool, it's something you'll have to practice, but it truly works in helping us surrender our thought life to Him, to be able to surrender ourselves to Him, to be able to not let our flesh have reign over us. And I'm encouraging you this week, as you struggle with thoughts in your mind, fear, doubt, insecurity, lack of confidence, this person doesn't like me, what's going to happen if this happens? God, you're not moving fast enough. God, why aren't you hearing my prayers? God, you can fix it if you don't, and since you, just since you don't, you must not care about me, and you don't care about me because my sins are unforgivable, and it just spirals down until you end up in this really dark place he never intended for us to be because he loves us supremely. But his ways are higher than our ways. And what we have to do is simply trust him by replacing those thoughts. Or using Justice's term for a couple of weeks ago, it's mentally bouncing your eyes. You know what? Uh, he talked about lust when you, you know, the first look, it's not really a sin. That's a temptation. It's the second look that becomes the sin. So when you had those thoughts, you know, you can't control those, but you bounce your eyes by now rejecting those thoughts and filling them with something that you internalized from your time of memorizing and meditating on his word, that it becomes second nature. It becomes so much a part of you that all you have to do is say, Lord, I want to fill my mind with you. Would you fill my mind with your word? And it'll just bubble up from stuff that you've meditated on and being and being changed with and transformed by and it's not even a struggle anymore but it takes time to get there and so i'm hoping that uh this will give you some tools on at least how to surrender your thought life to him we're going to be talking in the weeks to come uh and i'll be sending you a bunch more emails sorry i'm long-winded uh a bunch more emails to talk about the other hows like we looked at today how to, um, how to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. What we usually end up doing is figuring that out after the fact. Wow, 
I walked according to the Spirit in this incident right here. Thank you, Jesus, for guiding my thoughts and not letting me say what I wanted to say. It's always after the fact rather than being proactive with that. Or we're like this, geez, I really got in flesh on that one, didn't I? And then the damage is already done. So we're going to be talking about a lot of the how-tos that'll take some of the practical things They are practical sanctification verses in Scripture, but they are where most of us experience the most failure with our spiritual life about having faith and not worrying and trusting God in all things, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, you know, um, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to send these things to you. We're going to learn how to do it. But the foundation is for you to fill yourself up with his word. And biblical meditation is the best way to do that. So I've sent you two emails about that. I'll send you some more next week. If you have questions about that, if you struggle with that, if it doesn't work for you, if you're, I think I'm doing it wrong, call me. And we'll, um, we'll talk through that and explain what it means to have your mind renewed. And I think you're going to find uh, this practice of biblical meditation, irrespective of what other people say, will, uh, will help you grow closer to him in leaps and bounds. Amen? Let me pray.